on, somebody. This is the last message in the Worthy Message series. I told you at the beginning of this, if you're around for that, this is the first time I've ever done exegetical, is that the word? Where you go kind of verse by verse. This is my first time, and I've just had such a blast um, doing this with you. Um, We are in the last chapter of Ephesians this morning, and um, I'm totally going to take a left turn and come at it from a totally different angle because that's who I am. Um, we, there, was this, there was this message that I prepared and, and I preached at uh, my home church, our, our Foursquare Church down in Bayfield, this last year as I was preparing for um, one of the big conferences. We uh, do youth conferences in our district, and we were get, getting ready for the what we were calling the launch conference. And so everything I was kind of thinking about and praying towards and processing at the time was, was going to the high places. And so this morning's message is how to climb and stand atop the high places no matter what. And, um, and, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to wrap up with Ephesians 6 and, and the weapons of our warfare, the, the spiritual, you know, the, the armor that we put on. But it's not going to start there this morning. I told you I'm coming at it from a different angle. And I, I kind of appreciate scriptures that way. You know, you can, there's so much that, that God can speak to you out of scriptures, right? And so this morning, um, it's not a deep dive into that, that last section of Ephesians, but it's a, it's a picture of what our, our spiritual armor can do for us. Amen. And so um, I'm, I'm excited um, to, to, to dive into this this morning. And at the crux of this message is Ephesians 6, but we're going to start, of all places, we're going to start in the book of Habakkuk. And, um, and so the idea of this message is simply this, um, that no matter what season of life you're in or what valley of life that you go through, that God's purpose, his promise, and his plan is that you can still be standing in the end. Anybody say amen to that? <laughs> so... I don't, and I don't think this is hype. I, it's God's promise. It's God's word that, that whatever you face in life, whatever you do or whatever is done to you, you're still going to be standing in the end by the grace and by the power of God. That's his promise. And so I want to ask God to change our expectation this morning, just right at the beginning, so that you can, can leave this place going. You know, okay, maybe the circumstance didn't change this morning while I was at Destiny, but my expectation changed when I was at Destiny this morning. Amen? Okay, would you stand with me as we read? This is what he says um, at the, the end of this little book of Habakkuk and that we're going to be looking at together. In the last verse, verse 19, says this. The sovereign Lord is my strength. The, sov- the sovereign God is where I'm going to put my hope this morning. Amen? He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, and he enables me to tread on the heights. Amen. Okay, we're starting here this morning. We're going to end in Ephesians. Father God, we just, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. God, we just thank you, Lord, for what you're going to speak to us and what you, Holy Spirit, are going to reveal to us this morning. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. So, I hope you never look at deer's feet the same again after this morning. Now, if we go back to the beginning of the book, Habakkuk opens with this, this big question. God, how long are we going to keep crying out to you, and how long are you not going to listen to us, is basically the question that they're asking. Because they've been going through some stuff. How long, in other words, is it going to look like everything went sideways and you're not going to do anything about it? That's the, kind of the question that's asked. And, and so have, you don't need to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever been there? 
And, and, and so it just feels like maybe there's a silence. But he, so he travels through this journey with God and comes to the conclusion just a few short late, verses later. And he says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He kind of ends, ends here. The sovereign Lord is my strength. And here's what I believe. That no matter what comes, whatever season, whatever challenge, whatever obstacle, whatever height comes, here's my conclusion. He's going to make my feet like the feet of a deer and enable me to go to any terrain and scale any heights. Okay, so let's, let's dig deep a little bit this morning. So maybe this isn't a regular thing on our prayer list, you know, that I, I don't hear people praying, Lord, give me the feet of a deer, you know. <laughs> you don't hear that uh, very often. You know, I've been waiting for this my whole life. You know, I've just wanted deer feet as long as I can remember, and I didn't know that God could do that for me, you know. That's not something that we pray very regularly. But, but when Habakkuk wrote this, the people got it. Because they weren't thinking of the little deer up in our backyards that we see up here in the Black Hills, you know, eating the pansies out of the flower bed. They were thinking more about these guys right here. They're up in the high places. Up in the Colorado Rockies. <laughs> and they, they were thinking about the treacherous terrain in the land, which is where this book was written. And in their own minds, they could see these, these mountain goats who would scale up on the rocky cliffs and who could climb like nobody's business. And they're thinking, God is going to make me like that? God's going to make me like that? Can the Lord really do that? You know, can, can you really give me the ability to go up on rocky cliffs and down the steep slopes? Because I've seen what these guys can do. Can he really give me the ability to be sure-footed in every season of life? And if he can, how is he going to do that? And so let me tell you about these mountain goats a little bit. Actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to a certain family. This is the Ibex family. I want to show you a few pictures. This is crazy. Let me take you to central Italy to the Sintino Dam. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. This is the first picture. You can see uh, in that picture, there's, you can see the reservoir behind it, incredible landscape there. And in this area, the alpine ibex live. And ibex is uh, similar to the mountain goats that we saw in the first picture. But when you look at this dam, it's 160 feet up. Not straight up, but straight up enough to you know, be very much straight up. <laughs> and so if we start zeroing in on this picture, I want you to see the ibex that are up on the dam. Now, what are they doing there? Why would any animal in their right mind, you know, do that, right? So, well, these guys are vegetarians by nature. And so there are many minerals in the rocks that are created by this dam, primarily salt. And their bodies crave minerals. And they found out at some point, maybe they're eating a little plant that was in the crack at the bottom. Well, there's minerals in here and their bodies start craving those minerals. And so they looked all over the lower rocks and at some point they had to go up a little bit higher. And so up they went. This next picture is a little bit closer up of what was going on with these guys. Kind of looks like he's just floating there in the air, doesn't it? And, you know, and, and then I think we have one more shot looking down at the top from him now. That's what these guys were thinking about when they were, when they were, when he was reading the scripture to him. And so I, you guys want to see these guys in action? I grabbed a few video clips and I want you to watch this real quick. Check this out.
All it can do is wait for one to slip and fall. Those are babies. But these youngsters are fast learners, and they're now almost as sure-footed as their parents. find its meal elsewhere <laughs> it's worth it go if you if you're uh, subscribed to Netflix do a little search for planet earth 2 and look up the ibex um, episode to watch the whole story so now listen isn't that amazing I mean isn't it just it's like almost unbelievable God is saying to you this is the possibility and so the picture comes clear to the listener in this moment when he's saying, wait a minute, God can give me the ability to scale things that don't look scalable, <laughs> to climb things, to attain heights that don't look attainable to me. And so their eyes get wide, big, wide open. I can do that. And so let's start asking questions like, what is going on with their feet, right? <laughs> why, does, why does the scripture talk so much? Have you ever seen this? The scripture's about cloven feet. What is that about? That's what we're going to look at just to, to open up this morning. Because if that's what it takes to scale the heights, what's the deal? I want to find out, right? And so if you do a little research, here's what you find. All of these guys have what you call cloven hooves. It's all about the cloven hooves. And um, that's how you scale the heights. A cloven hoof is what they call a, it's a split hoof. And we hear about split-hooved animals in the Old Testament, and that's these guys. And so you're like, you know, what, what does this mean? What's the split hoof about? You know, here's what a split hoof is all about. Each foot are the two hooves that you see there, not one. And as you can see, each of them, they, they have a hard exterior and a, and a soft interior. So around each of the split hooves, on one hoof of a cloven hoof is a very hard edge. That's the, the longer, the, the end part. And so they can go bounding down that steep terrain, even as little babies, rock to rock, and they've got the resistance, as you saw, for impact as they make those big jumps. But if I'm trying to hang on for a minute, like when I look like I'm standing on a vertical wall, or I come to a soft landing, I also have a very soft inner foot and our inner hoof, which is malleable and can actually deform, and it creates a suction. It's kind of like Spider-Man <laughs> against the service. So I've, I've got two options there. I've got the option if it's really narrow, you know, of, of, of just getting, you know, my, my soft part of the hoof on there and kind of grabbing on like that guy. Not even room for a whole hoof, no problem. I'll just get one half of the cloven hoof on there, right? And then the other, the other thing that an animal with a cloven hoof has at its disposal is the ability for the hoof to split open and to grab like a claw. Look at this guy. 
It's like Ethan Hawke right there. Um, Ethan Hunt, uh, Mission Impossible goat. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? And so they can, they can use their, their split hooves to grab. And so that, that guy's got four feet that he can grip onto a mountain. Mission Impossible goat right there. Or two feet that he can get on a little tiny ledge that's barely noticeable to you and me and actually have the ability to cup onto something and to suction on. And so God said, I want to make your feet like that. So that in any season that you're in, you'll still be standing in the end. I just want to say to you this morning in the power and in the name of Jesus, you're not going down, but you're still going to be standing with him in the end. Can anybody say amen to that? <laughs> so we have a lot of reasons to be thankful this morning. So I, I started asking myself the question, what does a split hoof look like in our lives? What is this, what is this speaking to us? So this is where we go to Ephesians chapter 6 to put on the whole armor of God. That's, that's the end of Ephesians chapter 6, if you've read ahead to the, the end. And we come down to the end of that passage, and in verse 17, the last piece of the armor of God, I believe, is a picture of what the split hoof is in the life of the believer. And to put it simply, it's the Spirit and the Word. And so we're going to see this through the teaching of Jesus, not just through my idea, but, but what helps us stand on any terrain and navigate the heights is the Spirit, Holy Spirit, and His Word. The combination of the Spirit in our life, illuminating the truth of God and bringing it into full bear in our lives, and our everyday lives, the Holy Spirit of God connected with the Word of God. It is the power in our lives that He gives us this dual ability to hold on no matter what's happening. And so we see it down at the very end of verse 17. And He says, And lastly, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So there's this relationship all through the text with the sword and the spirit. And it's the offensive weapon in the armor of God, right? You take the, the sword of the spirit, but it's, it's not just this mysterious, you know, spirit. Here I come with my spirit sword. <laughs> it's not that. It's not that. No, the spirit is the is, spirit sword is the word of God. And so the, the Holy Spirit of God is illuminating and activating the power of God's word in my present situation. And so that's what allows me to suction on to the character of God or to grip on to whatever terrain I'm in and still be standing when it's all said and done. It's the spirit and the word or the cloven hoof of the believer. And we see how this works when we read about the whole armor of God beginning in verse 10 of Ephesians. And so this text, it's amazing, it's amazing how this text, to me, just weaves itself together with Habakkuk 3. So check this out. Starting in verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the, the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so with, when, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to, to do what? To stand. Say that again. You'll be able to stand. To stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to what? To stand. To stand. And say, okay, I'm not a rocket scientist, but I'm starting to understand here the word of God and the armor of God are designed to enable us to stay in the middle of anything, to stay in the end of anything, to finally be standing, to still be standing. And then at the end of our life and the end of our time on earth, to still be standing. So, if there's any voice coming into your world 
this morning, any voice that says, you're going down, you know, you're, you're not going to make it, you're not going to get through this life, it's not the voice of God. It's not the voice of your father. It's a liar who's been lying to you the whole time, and you've got to come at him with truth today and say, oh, no, I've got a God who's going to give me dear feet. <laughs> and with my dear feet, I'm going to stand no matter what happens in my life. And he says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that uh, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to what? To stand. So how? Are you with me right now? How do I do all, how, how do I do all this standing <laughs> not falling? <laughs> Paul just lays it out here for us. It's, it's possible that you can walk out and not have your hair on fire for what I'm going to say this morning. But make a decision to follow what, what God says to you. And he says, stand firm. Stand firm then, verse 14, with what? With the belt of truth. Buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. Okay? So in other words, what he's saying is, if you want to stand, here's how you stand. Put the truth around your waist. Put God's righteousness over your heart. Lift up your shield of faith, which is produced by the word of God and the spirit of God and the person of Christ, so that whatever arrows are flying your way, you're not just dodging them, you're putting your faith up. Based on the God's word and the spirit, you've got spirit and the word combined to combat what's coming your way. Put on the helmet of salvation, get your feet, your feet, get them ready to follow God and obey God and move with God because of the gospel of peace. And take out the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray about everything that happens in life. And as you're suited up with all of this armor, you're going to be able to stand against all the schemes of the enemy. Okay? So now what's important for us to see here this morning is I'm not going to be able to stand necessarily against the schemes of Bob. You know, the guy at work. or <laughs> I'm going to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And what Paul's helping us see is my struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers of darkness. So maybe the person in view is named Harriet. I don't know. Sorry if you're Harriet here and you're here this morning. But Harriet is not your enemy. Maybe the circumstance is called cancer, but cancer is not your enemy. The enemy is the enemy. <laughs> His name is, is, is the devil, and he's got a plan for you. He's got a plan for you, and the enemy has a plan for you. You realize that this morning? The enemy has a plan just as much as God has a plan. God has a plan and a purpose for your life to give you life more abundant, right? John 10, 10. But the enemy also has a plan and a purpose for your life, and his plan and his purpose is to what? To destroy God's plan and purpose for your life, to kill, steal, and destroy. So if he can... The way he's going to do that is by lying to you and deceiving you and me and getting us on a track where we doubt God and his goodness and wander off in some crazy path in our life in the midst of the potential that God has for us. So how do you combat the schemes of the enemy? By putting on the full armor of God, right? We just read that in scripture. But first, you've got to understand what the schemes are, right? So if, if I've been looking at this text and, and looking at it for a while, if I'm going to stand against all the schemes of the enemy, well, what are his schemes? We understand schemes, right? 
Yeah, our pastor in Bayfield was a coach. He, he uh, taught on our high school teams. He understood schemes way better than, than I did, especially in the sports world. But coaches, you know, will get in there with the team, you know, before the game, you know, at the practice or at halftime, making adjustments. And you'll hear things, you know, like, you know, this guy went in and watched a lot of film. You know, the quarterbacks do that. They, they go in and watch the film until midnight, right? And they're watching the plays of the, the other team. And what does that mean when you hear about an athlete doing that? It means he's studying the opponent, right? Why? Because he wants to know what his schemes are. <laughs> And so the coach makes adjustments. It's a halftime moment where the coach comes in and they say, you know, okay, when they did that, remember, we're going to do this. And so they, 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 they make some adjustments, but this time they did that. And so when we go back out, we're going to do this, right? And so when they come out in the field with this package, we're going to come out with this personnel. And, and if that guy goes in motion this way, this guy's going to go in motion that way. And if it's a third and a few yards short at this point in the field, we've got a feeling that's what's coming because I've been studying it and I know his schemes. They've got a scheme, but we've got a scheme. The, the more we understand what their scheme is, we can prepare to succeed in the midst of the battle, right? And so I'm telling you, so many people who are followers of Jesus, who love Jesus and want to know Jesus, want to walk with Jesus, and they have no clue what's going on in the world around them. <laughs> and so God doesn't want you to live like that. He wants you to have cloven hooves. And he wants the opposite for you. Instead of confusion and frustration and disappointment and defeat, he wants you to endure and he wants you to stand. But you're not going to do that if you don't know that the devil is your enemy, right? And so your boss isn't your enemy. Your ex-wife is not your enemy. Your boss may be problematic in your circumstances with your finances. <laughs> it might be for real, but, but the guy that cheated you out of that money, he's not your enemy, the devil is your enemy, and he's got a scheme for you. So, and it's to take you out. He wants to take you out. And so what do the schemes look like? Well, there's, there's, there's four that I'm just going to list really quick here this morning. Number one is pride. What is pride? It's in other words, when you make it to the heights, you get to the high places, and everybody wants to make it to the heights, right? Whatever that looks like in your world, the height of financial gain, the height of networking, the heights of acclaim, the heights of prominence, the heights of, of recognition, the, the heights of career advancement, the heights of relational success, the heights of a high social media following, whatever it is for you. When we get there, we finally make it, and we worked and clawed and trusted and believed, and we finally get there. When we get there, the enemy has a scheme for that. He's not going to go, oh my goodness, you know, the Lord bless you, right? The Lord favor you. You made a, a boatload of money. You jumped over 17 people in your organization. You know, look at you. You have absolutely achieved a high standing in life. Congratulations. He's going to say, okay, God favored you and lifted you up and put you in a successful place. So what kind of scheme am I going to have for you? Oh, I know what I'll do. I will scream at you with pride. And I will try to distract you from dependence on God by all the acclaim. Now, that's coming here where I'll try to sell you a dependence on yourself. Which is really a counterfeit dependence. And it's something that's going to end up at the end of the day probably causing you to fall off to the high places. Because, you know, that's the place where God puts you. And I don't really want you there. Right? The most treacherous place of all to stand is where? At the very top. And the enemy knows that. Why? Because the enemy's got a scheme for the top. He's not just scheming for people stuck at the bottom. And, and the scripture says, Paul alludes to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. He's talking about the history of Israel, but it's pretty amazingly applicable to us right here. 
He says, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And as soon as you get there, you say, well, we made it. Look, I don't know how, but we got to this really high place. And he said, be careful in the scriptures. He describes how you might fall. It's interesting that the, the turn he takes, he says, no temptation is overtaking you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Some translations say stand up under it. He will give you a way to stand up. And what he's saying is that when you make it to the top, so many different kinds of temptation are going on in the story, and you've got to be ready for that ahead of time. And if you're praying right now for success, man, go for it. I hope you become the best at whatever you're doing. And, and you know, God hopes that you become the best. We hope that you become the best at whatever you're doing. I hope you rise up through the ranks and that your work is recognized, that your gifts are recognized, that your stewardship and your influence grows and broadens. But please be ready for the top. Because when you get there, the, you finally get there, all the prayers, all the hope, all the love, all the hard work, all the energy, and they finally get there, and you get to that place, and you say, wait a minute, you know, maybe I don't have time for community. Maybe, you know, I don't have time for the community of faith anymore. I don't really have time for the brotherhood and what I've learned, leaned on so much to get here. I really don't have time to steal away with God and get in the Word anymore. And I'm not really in worship that often anymore because, you know, well, I've got a lot of meetings, a lot of opportunities, a lot of reasons why I just can't stand on, on what I accomplished, right? So that's the scheme of the, the devil. Scheme number two is fear. Fear is when he brings us to a sheer wall, the, this mountain is before us, and he convinces us that the obstacles that are there, that are between our potential and our vision, and maybe in where God wants us to go, he convinces us that they, we just can't do it. They're insurmountable. Look at that mountain there's no way and so when he does that he deceives us to settle for less and to shrink back and to give up instead of going for what God has dreamed and planned for us and so it's like the 12 spies going into the promised land God said I'm going to give it all right I'm going to give it all to you I'm going to provide this amazing home for you and one guy had a little bit of a tendency towards fear and he saw this big fortified city and he, and he saw these huge giants, and he's like, I don't think we're going to make it. I don't think we're going to make it. These guys are going to chew us up and spit us out. And he shared that with another friend. And he was like, I know, I know. I'd rather just go back to where we were and just settle down and not take a risk, you know, if it were up to me. And so pretty soon, two turned into five, and five turned into nine, and then 10 out of the 12 guys. What did they say? We think it's a no-go. When God had given him the promise... And only Joshua and Caleb said, the sovereign Lord is our strength. And yeah, these cities are fortified, but I can't wait to see how God lets us scale this wall. Come on, somebody. I can't wait to see how God gives us the feet to scale this wall. Do you want a, a text to take home with you this morning to just sit and meditate on something, to memorize something, to write on your heart? This, this is it. Psalm 18 is amazing. Listen to verse 28. You, O oh Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns darkness into light. I can advance against a troop with my God. I can scale a wall. That's the kind of spies you need going into the land. Man, these cities are fortified. You know, I'm glad that I've got a God who can let me scale up them. 
I'm glad that I've got a God who can turn me into that Ibex. You know, that's going to be amazing. This is going to be amazing. God's going to do something incredible in this moment. You just wait and see. Versus, wow, that wall is really tall. <laughs> right? I think I'm just going to settle down and back out of the promise and the potential that God spoke over my life. And I'm going to take an easier path. I'm going to take a lesser road. He says, verse 30, as for, as for my God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure, makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle and my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You give me your shield of victory and your right hand sustains me. Your help has made me great. You broaden the path beneath me so that my ankles do not turn. Spirit and word. When the spirit and the word becomes alive in me like a fire inside of me, not like words on a page, but Jesus' breath and the spirit inside of my bones. And that gets ignited inside of me. All of a sudden, the spirit and word combined together, I'm grabbing onto stuff that looks like I can't climb it. I'm grabbing onto stuff and I'm looking at walls and I'm saying, okay, well, that's a big wall, but God, this is going to be amazing. <laughs> I'm going to hold on for dear life. <laughs> I'm going to trust you and I'm going to keep moving forward because I've got a feeling that you're going to let me scale this wall. You said it and I'm going to do it. You're going to get me the feet of a fit of a deer and you're going to come through for me. The scheme of the devil is fear, but the promise of God is victory. The third scheme of, of the devil is bitterness. Bitterness happens when the enemy, the devil, turns challenge and defeat and tragedy and hardship and death into doubt. And he uses them to erode our confidence in God. Job's wife said, just get over with it. Curse God and die, right? That's, that, that was her response. And I think a lot of us, maybe, you know, we haven't said the words out loud, but maybe in our hearts we did. We just said, you know, I'm dying. We've gotten to that place at one point in our life. And that's the enemy getting in between the death and the tragedy and the, the accident, the cancer, the diagnosis, the divorce, the abuse, the pain. That's the enemy getting in there. In any way he can, putting in that root of bitterness. The enemy has a scheme for you, and it's, it's to turn us bitter towards, towards the grace of God, you know, who, who gave us his very son that, so we could live. See, spirit and word give you that cloven hoof, that hard exterior to be durable, but that soft interior. With no spirit and no word, our interior gets hard, and we say, well, that guy is as hard as a rock. Well, he's not. On the outside, he's not. You just poke him, and he gets irritated, right? And, you know, the slightest little arrow pinprick and goes berserk. <laughs> but inside, concrete, hard as a rock. With the spirit and the word, we're hard against temptation in the battle, but we're, we have a soft heart towards God. So some of us have turned bitter because the enemy schemed a broken world and he schemed it to turn us against the goodness of God. That's exactly what Habakkuk was talking about. If, if you think this is just all, you know, pie in the sky, read Habakkuk from the beginning to the end. He says at the end of the day, in verse 17, 
Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the, uh, the fields produce no food, there are, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will be joyful in God my Savior. In other words, I'm walking by faith, not by sight. And everything can look like it's gone sideways. Everything can look like it's upside down. But I believe God has a plan. I believe God is still on his throne, and I believe he's the same God before the storm as he is in the storm, and he's going to be the same God after the storm. So, you know, what I'm going to choose to do is lift up the eyes of my heart, and I'm going to declare a song of praise in the middle of the barrenness in my life. And so it's great when the figs are at full harvest, right? You know, when the grapes are abundant, when the fields are overflowing, and the barns can't contain it all, when there's so many sheep you don't know what to do. The cattle are multiplying left and right. Then, of course, you sing a song of praise. But Habakkuk said, the God I know is the God of yesterday and the God of today and the God of forever. And I'm still going to choose to praise him no matter what. He didn't say, I feel like praising him. He, he didn't say I was standing there and I got this really amazing feeling and goosebumps came over me. He just said, I declare and I decide that no matter what comes in my life, yet I will praise him. How can you do that? You know, why would you do that? Because of the sovereign God that we serve, a worthy God. He, he makes these feet cloven hooves. And he lets me scale the heights. So when it's all said and done, when there's no fig tree, no grapes, no crops, no sheep, no cattle, guess what? I'm going to still be standing in the end. A fourth lie and scheme of the enemy is a simple, uh, simply called religion. Put truth on and righteousness over your heart. Why? Because there's an enemy scheming, and it could be pride, it could be fear, it could be bitterness. But the other thing that takes a lot of us out is the scheme of religion. And religion is just the enemy telling you to try in your own strength. To try on your own to please God and earn his favor. You know, a lot of us, we come to the seasons of life where we feel unworthy and we count ourselves unworthy of God's blessing and favor. And we'll say things like, you know, I'm not really one of God's favorites, am I? You know, we were talking to ourselves, you know, obviously, look at my life. And the enemy, when he sees that, he capitalizes and he strikes and says, well, try harder. Do more. You know, see if you can earn your way up another step up the ladder of, of favor with God. That's the that's language that he tries to start speaking to our spirit. And God has said to you and me, I loved you before you even did anything. There's a cross in your story, and that cross tells you that Jesus Christ came perfect for the imperfect Son of God for the sinful man. Why? So that you could raise up, raise out of death, and, and, you know, and give us the gift of forgiveness and righteousness and holiness in him. That's what we're celebrating through communion this morning. So Paul said, put on that kind of breastplate of righteousness so whether the enemy comes with religion, you could say, hey, I don't have to earn anything with God. By faith in Christ, Jesus Christ, I'm as holy as I'm ever going to get. <laughs> and I can't earn it or achieve it on my own. So what kind of schemes is he coming at you with? The answer is to put on the armor of God and to suit up. You know, it's so frustrating. It can be so frustrating. I don't know if you guys have ever come across this, but when you meet with somebody, and I'm not trying to be insensitive, but you sit down and someone says, you know, I don't know what's going on in my life right now. I feel so defeated and I feel so lost and I don't know where God is and I'm not sure what to do. You know, can you help me? And, you know, whatever our response is, well, you know, I don't know. Do you... Do you I want to say sometimes, do you have the helmet of salvation on? <laughs> do you have that on? Well, I don't know. I did read a blog when I woke up this morning, right? 
That's great. But did you put on a helmet of salvation when you woke up this morning? Meaning, I am a recipient of the grace of God. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was lost, but I'm found. I had no shot, but now I'm a son of God. I am saved and I'm secure in Jesus and I have a seat at the table, right? Of Almighty God. I've been invited in the family of the one who runs the universe. Hello. I have an inheritance with him that will not fade away. And I'm telling you, I don't know whether the circumstance is going to change today or whether Harriet's going to change today. <laughs> but I know one thing. I'm going to walk into that deal today as a daughter of Almighty God, as a son of Almighty God. I'm saved and I'm secure and hidden away in Christ and in God. So that's who I am today. So I'm going to walk through life with the helmet of salvation on my head. And so you've got people sitting there and going on and on. I don't think I put on the helmet of salvation today. It's kind of like this mental picture, kind of like you sitting there spiritually in your boxer shorts. <laughs> right? You didn't prepare for the day. Paul's encouraging you to get dressed and put on the armor of God. We've got too many Christians out there running around in their underwear, getting pummeled by the devil. I'm going to tell you a story to wrap this up. When I was, when I was driving around for my district job, uh, it was probably last year, I, I heard one of my favorites, Louis Giglio, was sharing about when he was in Houston after the flood in the fall of 2017 and the, the effects, all the effects that happened after um, Hurricane Harvey. And he was talking to his sister-in-law and she was telling Louis about her cousin. So the flood came and he was in his house. I, I love this story. The flood came and he was in his house. It's nighttime and, a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a, this foot of water. You can, can you just imagine just being there and you kind of see the water level just kind of rising up in front of you? This foot of water is there, then two feet. You know, then, then before he could hardly take it all in, there's water in the street almost to the bottom of the mailbox where he's looking out on his street, coming towards the house, rising now, coming inside of his house. Can you imagine just being in that situation? And so he's taking this all in, and he realized very quickly that the tide was strong, and he's got to react. He's got to do something. So he went outside, and he's discovered something that you probably can only really discover when you're in a flood. I've never been in one. There's no training for it, really, right? You, you, you realize that this just isn't water, but it's moving water. It's way, way more powerful than I am. Water has a lot of force, right? It has a lot of weight to it. And so he took in his surroundings, and he realized, he's looking around, he's looking at the houses and all the people that he knows, the families and friends in his neighborhood. There's a baby in this home. You know, there's, he knows that there's a pregnant woman and a baby in the house next to him. And, and, and he knows that there's an elderly person in the house on the other side. And in every house, he starts, you know, picturing all the people in the house and his neighborhood all the way down the street, just moment by moment. And the water is getting higher and higher and higher. And he said the water went over the mailbox and in the street and now is up the stairway and it started going downstairs into his house as he was standing there on the front door. I was, as I was, you know, who knows how much time has passed, but he said all while he was standing there in the front door, he saw the water rise that fast. I can't imagine it. And this is what he thought. This guy was a former army ranger, by the way. This guy, he thought, I know what I need to do. Now, I'm not a former army ranger, so I don't know what a former army ranger thinks about what he thinks about what he needs to do, but I would not have thought about what he thought about. 
when he was standing there. Because you know what he did? First thing he did is he went upstairs in his house and he put on his army ranger uniform. He put on his uniform. Now, it seems like a waste of time to me, right? <laughs> it's like, did you just, you know, remember the story of the waters rising? <laughs> you know, I want to be swept out to see it in my army ranger uniform, right? <laughs> that's, that's kind of what's going through my mind as I'm hearing the story. But he, no, he goes up and he puts his boots on, his uniform on, his hat on. And when he comes back down and he goes out into the street, by the time he gets back out, there's a National Guard vehicle coming into the neighborhood, one of those huge, you know, ones with the, the devious tires that are like taller than we are, um, and it's coming into the neighborhood. And they see him, and he sees them. And what happens? He signals them, and they drive straight to where he is. When they get there, he starts giving orders. And he starts giving directions about what needs to happen in the neighborhood. And they say, yes, sir. And they start communicating in army ranger language that nobody else would know. And they make an immediate plan. And all of a sudden, a fire truck comes in at the end of the street. And people start coming down, you know, where you can still walk. With ladders from the top of the truck because it can't make it any further. And guess what? Army ranger guy has gotten ladders going from house to house, and they've got them from the second story window of one house going to the second story window of another house, and then they take the ladder to the second story, and then they're, they're moving people out of houses all under the direction of Army Ranger guy that's in his uniform. And so they're moving where the, the water hasn't gotten high yet, and they're taking this elderly lady out and the pregnant lady with her baby, and, and this, this Army Ranger uniform guy is directing it all out in the flood, and he's telling police officers where to go, the fire department where to go, the rescue teams where to go, and they're all going, yes, sir, yes, sir. And they're just following along with everything that he tells them to do. 27 people were evacuated and rescued from this group of homes that night. And I don't know, you know, I, I'm assuming that this guy had a big part in it. And why do I think that? I think it's because he got his uniform on. Because I don't know what would have happened if he was out there standing in his boxers shorts and he said, come over here. <laughs> The National Guard came rolling in and sees him, and he just looks like he just got done watching TV on the couch, and, you know, he's on the front porch going, hey, this is what needs to happen. I don't know what would happen. But they saw him, and immediately he had respect. They knew he had authority, experience, and training, and immediately he directed and orchestrated the rescues of people, some who might not have made it. And so, yeah. So... In that moment, as the water is rising, he thinks to himself, before I do anything else, i got to get on my uniform. And some of us, man, it's maybe been 92 days since we had a piece of armor on. <laughs> you know, we're getting body blows, chokeholds, lies crammed down our throats, snares around our feet. We're tripping, we're bumping into stuff, getting stepped on and trampled on. And God is saying, I have a dream for you to scale the heights. I don't care what the circumstances. I don't care if the floodwaters are raging. I don't care what the scheme is. I don't care if it's pride or fear of business. <laughs> Any other scheme that the enemy has. I've got a plan for you. And it's to scale the high places and to stand no matter what. 
And you do it, spirit and word, come alive in your heart. And when you grab onto this by the power of God's spirit, please, you know, just don't misunderstand, you know, but, but just having this, oh, I've got my Bible and I've got a verse of scripture. That's not the whole story. The whole story is when the spirit who wrote God's word illuminates that word and he's written it inside of your heart and gives you the ability to not think like a human being, right? And, and, but to think like a spirit-led being, to comprehend the things in the word of God. And all of a sudden, it comes off the page, and it goes into your mind, it goes into your heart, and it activates your life, and it becomes alive in you. And now the word is living through you and can facilitate not only your rescue, but the rescue of others. Whew. The word is leading you, spirit and word together, with Jesus in your heart. They're leading you in your life and leading you in the heights and leading you in the storm and leading you against the enemy's scheme. And that is a promise and the plan of God. So remember those verses at the beginning? It said, he is my sovereign Lord, and he gives me feet like the feet of a deer, and he allows me to scale the heights. I'm going to have Pastor Brent come up. I want to close with one of my, one of my favorite worship songs. This is a song that uh, Brent wrote, as many of you will, will know. But um, how many of you believe that... <laughs> God has given us the tools, the spirit and the word, and all the, all the, the tools, the, the, our spiritual warfare to stand, to stand against the schemes of the enemy. And not only that, but to go to the high places. You know, John 10, 10, I think about, it's one of my favorite verses. I would say it's my life verse. He's given me a purpose better than I can think of or imagine. I want to go to the high places. I want to go, I want to scale the walls that he's given me to, <laughs> he's purposed for me to climb. I don't want to back away from his full purpose and plan for my life. Even though it may look scary, even though it may look treacherous, I want to put on my armor. And you know what? When that happens, we have authority in the spiritual realm and we can start directing. And we can start rescue operation. Amen. Let's stand and let's close with singing this song this morning. You're the glory and the lifter. You're the glory and the lifter of my head. You're the glory and the lifter. Glory and the lifter of my 
who's the glory and the lifter of your head this morning? Who's going to take you to high places and let you stand against every scheme of the enemy? Amen. If you're here this morning and you've never said yes to Jesus with nobody looking around, I just want to invite you in. You've been hearing God's word this morning and you're just thinking to yourself, man, I want to grab hold of all that God has for me. Is there anybody here this morning? If there is, just lift your hand up high in the air. Make some eye contact with me. Amen. All right, church. You know what? what's up. We're called to scale the high places. Amen. So let's go out there and give him heaven. In Jesus' name. Love you guys. Amen. Ha, ha, ha.